The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. Let's pray and then we'll get started. Lord, we love you so much, Jesus. And like that song said, Lord, you are our king of kings. You're not just a king in our life, but you are our king of kings. And we come before you today to hear your voice. Lord, we, come, we approach you as children this morning, approach your throne this morning. We say you're Lord of our life. So whatever you want to say to us today, whatever you want to do in us today, um, Lord, we're here for it. Would you open our eyes and open our ears? We might see and hear you in a new way today. Jesus' name, everybody said... I was so honored when Pastor Josh asked me to fill in on one of the weeks of their sabbatical. I hope you know it's a really cool thing that as a church we're at a place where our pastors can take away, take time to step away and recharge and refuel. I, I've been in church uh, my whole life and been close to church leadership my whole life. My dad's a, a campus pastor down in a church in Houston, and then I've been in a ministry position of some type since I was in high school. In high school. And I can tell you that the only healthy churches that I've experienced are the ones where pastors take time. They, they steward and carry the vision of our church so well. And I'm, I'm so glad that they get to take a season to step away and hand, hand the reins of the church over to our amazing elders and our leadership team so that they can come back, recharge and refueled. And I know you miss them. They'll be back in a couple of weeks. But for this week, you're just going to be stuck with me. All right. Um, I'm excited to be bringing this word to you. God dropped it in my heart uh, a couple months ago. Um, and I, I think it's really going to challenge us and encourage us this morning. If you've been around New Song for 15 minutes, then you know that we love standing on the Word of God here. Yeah. Like we believe that the Word of God has power. Yeah. That there, are, even though the promise, some of them were written thousands and thousands of years ago, they're every bit as powerful and relevant yeah. today. Yeah. That we can stand on them. That when we put the Word of God in our ears and then out of our mouth, that miracles take place. Can I get an amen? amen. And so I've got a promise that's going to encourage you today that we can stand on. Okay, are you ready? James 4, 6. God resists the proud. Man, isn't that encouraging? I can just tell that blessed your socks off this morning. That was worth the price of admission right there. God resists the proud. We love to, you know, make social media posts about the promises of God that feel good, you know. That's not one that we necessarily post out there. Doesn't feel quite as good unless we're subtweeting about someone, you know. <laughs> I hope they read this. But the word of God contains promises like that too. That's a promise. God resists the proud. And I came to talk to you this morning about pride. I came to ask you this question, is God resisting you? Is God resisting you? The word in the Greek in that verse for resist is not a nice word. It's not a gentle tug. It's not like whenever you take your dog on a walk and they get out in front of you. And so you gently tug back to get them in line with you. That word resist there in the Greek actually is a military ter term. This is what it means. It means to place oneself in battle against. This, this verse means that even though God may have an assignment for you and blessings for you and a door he wants you to walk in and a purpose and a calling on your life that he wants you to fulfill, even though he has all of those good things planned for you, if you have pride in your heart, then it says that he gets in front of you and opposes you. Why? Because God knows what pride leads to. Look what it says in Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before what? Destruction and haughtiness. Before a fall, I heard some of y'all. I misquoted that verse right there. Pride comes before destruction. 
haughtiness before a fall. We put the answers right there on the screen for you too. Why does God resist you when you're walking in pride? Because he knows that it leads to your destruction. The destruction of your God-given dreams and desires, the, the destruction of your calling, the destruction of your purpose, pride leads to destruction. And that verse says, what that verse is telling us is that when we're walking in pride, it's like we're blind and we're running full force towards the edge of a cliff. And God in his great love and mercy towards you puts himself in a position of opposition against one of his children and begins to resist him so that you might not fall off that cliff into destruction. God resists the proud because he knows what pride leads to. So what is pride and why is it so destructive? Why is it so dangerous? Here's what the word pride means in the Greek. It means showing oneself above others, overtopping with an overweening estimate of one's means or merits. In other words, pride is when we feel like we're above it all, like we're an expert, like we know it all, like we don't need any help. Pride's when we feel like we don't need God anymore. When you get down to it, pride is when you feel like you don't need God anymore. And I know that, that you guys would, none of you would say today, well, yeah, I don't need God. <laughs> you wouldn't say that, but let me ask you this. Let me ask you a couple questions. Is there an area of your life that you don't continually cover in prayer? Is there an area of life where you don't ask for God's help? Is there an area of your life where you don't consult scripture on what's the best course of action? Is there an area of your life that disagrees with scripture? Because if you're disagreeing, if you're walking in disagreement with scripture, what you're saying is that I know best. I know better. Is there an area of your life that you feel like you're an expert where everyone needs to heal your, hear your unsolicited advice? Mm. I'm in your house this morning. I'm in your living room. Do you talk more than you listen to others? Is there an area of your life where you don't handle correction? Do you get defensive? If the answer to any of those is even just a little yes, then I want to tell you that you might have a little bit of pride. And I think where we get deceived is that we confuse pride with arrogance. Arrogance and pride are not the same thing. Arrogance is just the vocalization of pride. And we, we, we can spot arrogance. We can hear it coming out of other people's mouths. We can hear it coming out of our mouth. And, and it's ugly. You know, arrogance isn't a good color on anyone, right? And so we, we muzzle it and we contain it and we, we push it down. But I want to tell you that if you haven't dealt with the issue, the, the root issue of your arrogance, then you might still be walking in a little bit of pride. Why? Because pride is a symptom of the world. Pride is a symptom of the world. It's something that we all deal with. We all walk through seasons where we may have to deal with a little bit of pride. Not me, but the rest of you guys <laughs> probably do. No, I got to tell you this story. Um, so Kaylee and I, my wife, we didn't get together until the summer after senior year, but we grew up together. We, we grew up uh, small children together at the same church, and then we went to the same high school together. We didn't get together until the summer of senior year. It was summer loving. You know, summer loving had me a blast. Sing right to you, right there. <laughs> so we didn't get together until the summer of senior year, but we were real close friends all the way through high school. And one summer, we took a trip with our student ministry, a leadership trip from Houston down to Dallas to go to Six Flags. And so it was us and probably about 40 or 50 other students that all hopped onto a bus in Houston, Texas. And on this bus, there were some ladies, all right? And I know what you may be thinking. I was not flirting with them. They were flirting with me, all right? Okay, I might have been flirting just a little bit, but I was single then, so I could, I could flirt. It was fine. And so, but little did I know that Kaylee, my, one of my closest friends, was sitting in the row right in front of me. And so we go on this trip, 
and I'm enjoying the attention of the girls that were in the row that I was sitting in, and we get to Dallas, and we start to walk off the bus, and then out of nowhere, Kaylee just kind of flips around like this at me, like we're outside of the bus, kind of flips, hair slaps me, just like this, and I don't know what, what caused her to say this. I have some assumptions. I think it's because she was secretly in love with me at the time and she was just a little bit of jealous of the attention that I was getting. She's going to deny that, but I'm telling you that's what it was, okay? But I don't know why, what, what got into her, what caused her to say this, but she whipped around like this and looked at me. Well, it was more like this because she's kind of short. And she looked up at me and she, she looked at me right in the eyes just like this and said, David, you need to get over yourself. And I was in love. I was in love. Say, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am, will you help me? <laughs> My point is, is that we all deal with pride. I don't care if you're a junior high student, a young adult, the sweetest 99-year-old grandma. If you are human, then you deal with pride because pride is a symptom of the world. Look what it says in 1 John 2.16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Pride is simply a byproduct of having flesh. We just got out of a series called Dual Citizen where we talked about how we exist in two realities, how we're, we're half heaven, half human, that since now that our, our spirit has been made new when we put our trust in Jesus and confess our dependence on him, what happens is our spirit is made new, but we're not in heaven yet, so we're half heaven, half human, and part of our job on this side of heaven is to dis, dis, discipline and disciple our flesh into submission. There's no way around it. Pride is something that you're going to face. It's an enemy that you're going to face. And pride is, some, is nothing new either. In fact, it was the original sin. And I know uh, many of us think that disobedience was the original sin, that Adam and Eve, you know, took a bite of the apple and God told them not to, and that was the original sin, which, by the way, there's no verse that talks about apple, but I guess that makes it better for a kid's, kid's lesson. So, but it wasn't disobedience that, that was the first sin. It was pride. They thought, Adam and Eve thought themselves worthy of the position and the knowledge and wisdom of God. So therefore, they were willing to disobey. That's what's one of the things that's dangerous about pride is that it is a root in which other things will sprout in our lives. But Adam and Eve weren't even the first sinners. They weren't the OG sinners. That was an angel named Lucifer. And if you didn't grow up in church and you didn't know, Satan, also known as Lucifer, wasn't always a bad guy. In fact, he, he had a really, as we're going to read about in a, little, in a second, he had a really important position in heaven, and he was influential. He had responsibility in heaven, so much so that when he fell because of pride, um, a third of the angels fell with him. So let's, let's read about him right here in Isaiah 14, 12. This is called the fall of Lucifer is the title of this section. Verse 12, how you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations, for you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. What is that? It's pride. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. What caused Lucifer to fall? It was pride. And it wasn't that God was threatened by Lucifer's influence. God's not a mob boss. He didn't take him out because he was threatened. No, it's because God cannot share his glory or position with anyone. 
Because it's set alone for him. He's set apart. He's holy. He's high and lifted up. And really, that's what the root of pride is. If you're taking notes, write this down. Pride seeks to replace God with ourselves. So we make ourselves our own God. But pride doesn't happen in a vacuum like we're going to see in Lucifer in, in just a second. It requires a platform. That's my first point. If you're writing notes, taking notes, write this down. Every platform is an invitation for pride. Every platform is an invitation for pride. What's a platform? A platform is any area in which you have a voice, where you have influence. Think about, we call them social media platforms. You get a page, you, you, you select a profile picture, you get some friends, and then all of a sudden you have a platform, you have a voice, which I think is part of the problem with social media because we just give platforms to anyone. I think there should be some type of test you have to take. You know, We can all write and submit questions, and there's some type of test to just make sure that you're an agreeable person before we give you a social media platform. But that's a platform. You've got a voice. Or another platform might be a gift, a distinguishing gift that God's given you to distinguish you from everyone else. It's, it, it might be your um, job, it might be a skill set, but God gives you a gift and then he elevates you on to a platform so that people can see you, but not so that they will see you, but that they will see God shining through you. Yeah. Not that they will see, so that when they see you, they see the glory of God being reflected in your life. Look what it says in Matthew 5, 16. It says, let your light so shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. The light that Jesus is talking about in that verse doesn't originate in, in, a, in ourselves. It originates from God, that our gifts act like reflectors. Our platform acts like a reflector to reflect the glory of God into the earth. That's our job here. And that's what, that's what Satan's job in heaven was too. Look in Ezekiel 28, 12. You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and beauty, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the sardius, the topaz, the diamond, the barrel, the onyx, the jasper, the sapphire, the turquoise, the emerald with gold. What are those? Those are stones that reflect. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was created for you on the day that you were created. Mark this down. We're going to come back to it in just a little bit. You were the anointed cherub, which means angel who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. That's his platform. He was lifted onto a platform. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Let's skip down to verse 17. This is where the fall was. Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. Because of the gifts that God had given him in the first place, he began to experience pride. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you down to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. So this is what Lucifer's job was in heaven. He was covered in all of these stones that reflect. And then he was lifted up on a platform so that his gift would function properly. And and, and it wasn't a bad gig if you think about it. He was essentially the disco ball of heaven. (laughs) Lifted up, reflective, you know, probably spun around a little bit. It's not a bad gig. What I'm, what I'm saying is that he was important. Like he had, a, he had an assignment in heaven, but then because of pride, he was cast down. He was cast down. And so I've got something to help us illustrate this this morning. It's, I have it back here. And this is a mirror. This is a mirror. And this mirror is going to represent our gifts and our talents. Lucifer had uh, the shiny stones. I don't know what your shiny gift is. Maybe it is your um, occupation. Maybe you're a good sales rep. 
Maybe you outperform your competition quarter after quarter. Maybe, maybe you're a good mom or a good dad, or maybe, maybe it is a, um, a talent that you have. You're a starting position on your team, or maybe uh, you're a good singer or, or whatever it is. I don't know what your uh, shiny gift is, but God gives us a gift. And then our job is to receive this gift and then begin to polish it off and to begin to shine it and make sure that it doesn't have fingerprints on it. And, and it's not... Our, it's, we didn't create this gift, but it's our job to steward this gift. Just because God gives you a gift doesn't mean you just get to sit back and just, we, we have to put some work in. And so we, we put some work in and we steward this gift that God has given us. And then God takes this gift to use us to elevate us onto a platform so that we can, our gift can function properly. Now, I want to take a second and say that some of you guys might not be on a platform yet. If you're a student, your life might not see very, seem very visible right now. Or maybe you're just in a season of obscurity. Maybe you're a stay-at-home mom, and you know that at some place, at some point, you, you'll have a, a greater platform, even though the platform in front of your kids is the most important platform that you're going to have. But, but it may seem like you're a little hidden, and I just want to remind you that King David didn't wake up a warrior one day, but that he practiced his craft on the lions and tigers and bears, oh my, in the field when no one was looking, so that when his number was called, when the platform that Goliath was on appeared, he was ready. You know, your gift, just like this mirror, doesn't come pre-assembled. I had to take time when I was by myself to assemble this so that God could use it right now on this platform. I didn't wait till right now to unbox it from the Amazon package that it came in. No, I took time when I was by myself. And listen, if you don't take time to develop your gift in private, God will never ask you to use it in, in public. So can I get an amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, assemble your gift. Turn to your other neighbor and say, I hope it didn't come from Ikea. <laughs> so this is our job. Our job, God gives us this gift, and then he brings us up onto a platform when we're ready, and then it's our job to use our gift to reflect the glory of God onto this earth. Who am I going to pick on this morning? There he is, Vic. Oh, he can't even look at me. My gift's so shiny. I'm blinding Vic with my goodness this morning. Look at that. Look at that. So we use this gift in our job, and some of you guys are just going to get a little, a little light every once in a while, and I apologize for that, all right? Um, we're supposed to use this gift to glorify God. But here's where pride comes in. Here's, here's the problem is that we start to get some feedback from people. People start to say, man, you're a really good singer. You sing like a, you have a voice of an angel. Nobody sings like you. Or you're a good mom. You're so good. I, I, I want to be a parent like you or or whatever it is, and, and the problem is not the encouragement or the, or the compliments. That's not the problem. The problem is that we think they're talking about us. I'm blinding you, Becky. I can see her flinching. Let me scoot this back. We think, we think they're talking about us, but in reality, what they're acknowledging and affirming in you is the anointing and gifting of God on your life. We don't realize they're talking about the gift. And so we think they're talking about us. And what happens? We begin to believe the hype. And here's what we do. We go, I want to see what everyone's looking at. I turn this around. Man, I am so well lit up here. Man, I do look good. Everyone is lucky to see this. I can see, I can see why everyone was giving me compliments before because I am pretty awesome. And now instead of our gift functioning properly, all anyone sees is our pride. All anyone sees is our 
pride. Remember, an overestimation of one's self-importance. And, and we start to walk around with our pride because now this pride doesn't exist. I mean, this gift doesn't exist to glorify God anymore. Who does it exist to glorify? Who's in, who's in the reflection here? It's, it's me. So this gift that God had given me to partner with him in bringing glory to himself like a lighthouse in the middle of a storm, this gift that was supposed to be a beacon of hope so that people would begin to acknowledge the glory of God in their lives, this gift that God had graced us with to partner in his purposes, now it no longer functions the way that it was supposed to, but instead it functions to glorify me. And since it's all about me, I begin to, be, I begin to feel a little puffed up. I begin to believe that, that I am the expert at everything. I begin to um, I begin to believe the hype and start to offer some unsolicited advice. Like one of my friends has a kid, and so so I start to give them parenting advice that they didn't ask for. And I begin to I begin to give some unsolicited advice, or maybe I, I feel like. Uh, I feel like I know it all, and I am the possessor of absolute truth. And so I get on Facebook, and I start to uh, feel like it's my job on this earth to hold everyone accountable to what I think is right. And so I start to call people out, people I'm not even friends with. I didn't even go to high school with them. No, I just, I just asked them. I just sent a, a friend request. I don't even know who they are. They don't know me, but they need to hear what I think about things. Or... <laughs> Or what we start to do is we start to think that we're so smart and we possess so much knowledge that when we get in a disagreement with our spouse, we think, well, there's no possible way that I could be wrong. So I'm just not, why even listen? We're going to end with the words, you were right in this anyways, and, 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 and we stop listening, stop, stop thinking about maybe I'm in the wrong here, and I'm not going to look over the mirror this time as I'm talking to myself right now. I'm preaching, having a little moment with the Lord right here, preaching to myself this morning. <laughs> And all anyone sees is your pride. But that's only the half of it. That's only the half of it because when we start to turn this gift around, remember it was, the reflective side wasn't even supposed to be facing me. It's supposed to be facing God and then facing you guys. But as I've turned this mirror around and seen this reflection, I start to notice some things about myself. I start to, as I get a closer look, I start to notice some imperfections, you know, like, my clothes are a little wrinkly. I put on some, some pre-Thanksgiving weight. That's why I'm wearing a hoodie this morning. <laughs> Y'all will see me in this until I get my act together, all right? Started thinking, man, my pores, are they that big all the time? You ever looked in the mirror and been like, oh, my goodness? Or, or have you ever been on, um, on Instagram and you accidentally swipe over to the, to the camera and, like, you're holding the camera like this and it goes to the FaceTime cam and you're like, ugh. <laughs> Is this what I look like all the time? Oh, man, I'm so glad Kaylee stayed with me. All right. So, so, so we start to notice some imperfections, and, and we start to realize that maybe I'm not perfect, which maybe is the reason why this gift doesn't exist to glorify me in the first place. Like maybe the reason God gave me this gift was to glorify the one who is perfect, the one who is set apart, the one who is holy. This gift doesn't exist to glorify me, but in this moment, I, because of pride, I've turned it around, and now this is all about me, and I'm in the reflection, and, and our pride then becomes a means in which to cover up our, our insecurity, our insecurity. Underneath every proud person is a very insecure person. And here's what we do. We, we walk around with this gift now like a shield. 
Because we forgot that we weren't just the one holding the gift and we start to assume the identity of the person who is the gift. And we start to walk around and we don't want people to see the things that we're, we're ashamed of. We don't want people to see the things that we're insecure. Some people don't even get up on a platform because they've never turned this around because they're so insecure. They're like, I, I, if I'm on a platform, I might be exposed. People might see the things in me. No, not if you turn this around so that it glorifies God. But my point is we start to use this. We keep, the, we keep people at an arm's distance as we don't want people to see what's underneath. Uh, uh, when someone comes up to give us some correction we go don't don't attack my gift because an attack on, on my gift is an attack on me and it becomes a part of our identity yeah. no longer are we known as the person who holds the gift but now we are the gift which is why some of us our lives fall apart when we when we change seasons because we used to be the thing that we did and listen you are not the thing that you do you are not the thing that you do. We're going to talk about it in a second, but you're not the thing that you do. And if we're, going to, if we're going to get over this insecurity thing and we're going to get past this pride thing and if we're going to get on to wielding our purpose, which is the, I could, have, I could have titled this message, How to Wield Your Purpose. How do you wield your purpose? If we're going to get past this, then we're going to have to do, we're going to have to turn this mirror around. We're going to have to do like Haley, Kaylee so gently reminded me back outside of that bus in Dallas, Texas, we have to get over ourselves. We're going to have to realize that the gifts and the talents that God has given you, we're not, they do not exist to glorify you, but they exist to glorify God. We're going to have to take a second. We're going to have to get over ourselves and be reminded that, hey, it's not about me. It's not about me. Like when we, when we, when we get that, what we do is we go, guys, it's not about the gift. It's not about me. It's not about this platform. We say to the world, it's about him. It's about him. We, we begin to glorify the Lord, begin to glorify the Lord. And that's my second point this morning. Every platform is an invitation for praise. Yeah. Every platform is an invitation for praise. Let me turn this mirror around. So and I'm sure I'm blinding somebody here this morning. Let me turn it so that you guys can pay attention. Every platform is an invitation for praise. Let's look back at, at Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 13, that, that passage I told you to mark down. It says, the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day that you were created. So what we see here is that Lucifer wasn't just equipped with stones but that, uh, that reflect, but he was also built in with some, some instruments too, some instruments of praise. Um, and there are two instruments there. Uh, the first one is a timbrel. And a timbrel is a, another word would be like a tambourine or a timpani. So we get those words. And, and there are instruments that in the music world we call percussive instruments, which means that they require force to make sound. And I'm going to shock you this morning, but you and I were created with some timbrel instruments built in as well. Okay, you ready? I'm going to shock you. Do not, you don't want to miss this. Pay attention. Look at that. Look at that. Some of y'all can't clap on beat, but it doesn't say clap on beat. <laughs> you were built in with an instrument right here. Or it says that he was, he was uh, built in with, with some pipe instruments. Because the whole purpose of this is because he was the worship leader in heaven. That's what his job was. And so he was built in with some pipes. And, and you and I were built with pipes. Our, our diaphragm expands to, to force air up out of our lungs and through this built-in pipe called our throat. And inside of our th throat are these um, vocal cords that vibrate together and come out the horn of our mouth that, that makes sound. And, and you were created with an instrument of praise built in. Now, some of your instruments came a little bit out of tune, but that's okay. God doesn't say lift up a perfect sound to the Lord. It says lift up a joyful noise to the Lord. 
My point is, is that you and I come out of the box with instruments designed to do one thing, worship something. Worship something. We were designed and created to worship God. And this is how I imagine it was like um, when God created us. Now, I can't back this up with any scripture, so I'm just going to disclaimer that right there. But this is what I think happens, all right? This is what I think, this is what happens in my head when I, when I read about when God created Adam and Eve. So God has created um, the mountains and the seas and the lakes and the fish and the frogs and the emus and all that good stuff. And then he's coming up and he's about to create Adam. And up walks Satan. Now, we don't know exactly when Satan was cast out of heaven, but we know it was some point after creation because it says that he was cast down onto the earth. And it was some point after that they, God had create, or before God had created Adam and Eve because it says that he walked back and forth across the earth. And we know that Satan was the one that tempted Adam and Eve. And this is what I imagine happened. God is walking through creation, admiring what he has created, saying it is good. And up walks Lucifer and he looks at God and he goes, Who's going to be your worship leader now, God? Hey, God, who's going to worship you now? Because that was my job in heaven, and I was good at it. Remember, he's prideful. I was good at it. I was the best worship leader that you had ever created. Who's going to lead your worship now? Because you've cast me out of heaven. Who's going to lead heaven in your praise? Who's going to lead creation in your praise now? And God looks down at the, at the ground, and he reaches down, and he picks up a handful of dirt. Because it says that from the dirt, he created us. And then God goes, and out pops Adam, and he says, him. He's going to be my worship leader now. Listen, Christian, you and I were born, we, we, we were created with this cheat. If you, if you don't accomplish any other purpose in your life, this is the purpose that is the most important. You were created to glorify and praise God. We were created to lead creation in the praise of our heavenly father. But here's where pride becomes a problem. Because if you're taking notes, write this down. Praise can exist in the same breath as pride. Praise can't exist in the same breath as pride. You can't, you can't praise yourself, which is pride, and praise God in the same sentence. It doesn't work that way. So when we choose to worship God, when we choose to make our lives not about us, but about him, when we choose to use our platform to praise God for what he's doing, for, for his faithfulness in the past, what we do is, is we point to God and not ourselves. And this becomes the source and the anchor of our humility. Humility, because humility is a byproduct of praise. Think about it. You can't truly worship God without an appropriate perspective of God. Because, because when you worship God, you're saying, God, you're up here. That's one of the reasons why we lift our hands. God, you are up here, and I am down here, Lord. You are high and lifted up. You are set apart. Lord, I worship you. I magnify. I need you. And what does that do? It forces humility into our hearts, and it grounds us in humility. And that humility drives us to the feet of Jesus, because we can approach the throne now, but we can't look up because we feel so humble, because we go, God, you are set apart. Lord, you've been too good to me. Jesus, I don't even deserve to be in your presence presence this morning, but because of the cross, you've made a way into your presence for me. And so, Lord, I humbly come before you and I thank you. And then check this, th this humility brings us to the feet of Jesus, but then that proximity with God, through that proximity with Jesus, it brings us to the face of Jesus where we get our identity. If you're taking notes, write this down. Humility drives us to the feet of Jesus, but identity brings us to the face of Jesus. And this is why this is important, because this is where we get our confidence, this is where we get our confidence. Humility is not a, the opposite of pride. Neither is praise. 
Praise and humility are not the opposite of pride. Those are just things that, those are disciplines that we need to curate in our lives because the Bible says that we put on a garment of praise and, and we clothe ourselves in humility, but those are not the opposite of pride. The opposite of pride is confidence. A lot of you see, a lot of us see ourselves, we feel like God sees us like tools, like tools. And this is why I'm talking about identity this morning because God doesn't see you like a tool. God sees your gifts and your platforms as a tool that he's given you to partner with him and glorifying himself, but he doesn't see you as a tool. He sees you as a son and daughter. He sees you as, as a son and daughter, someone to wield the tool, but he didn't create you just to be used. He created you to be known. And that's very, very important. That's why the voice of the Holy Spirit is so important in your life because it's the voice of God in your life. It's, 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 you can hear God say your name. God knows your name. Someone needs to hear that this morning. God knows your name. He's thinking of you. He's thought of you. When he created you, he didn't just create you with a, with a purpose. He, came, he created you with a personality that he wants to know. Listen, listen, God doesn't see you as a tool. He sees you as a son and daughter. That's confidence. That's confidence right there. And the reason that confidence is so important is it's the opposite of pride is confidence. The reason why that's so important is because when, we, when we're confident, we realize that we're not defined our value isn't tied up in what we can produce. A, a slave is valued by uh, what they can produce. Uh, but a son and daughter, that's why it's important that Jesus says, I don't call you slaves. I call you sons. Mm -hmm. That's why it's important because a, a slave was valued by how much they could produce for their master. But a son is valued because of their blood. And through that confidence that we can have now because of that, we know that it doesn't matter who sees me. It doesn't matter what platform I'm on or how, how well I think my gift is functioning or how much praise I get from other people. I put very little weight in praise now from other people because I've got the uh, affirmation and the acceptance of God. The high king of heaven thinks of me. And so because of that, we can, we, we, what we do is we get rid of pride's foothold because really what pride is, is the enemy wants to use pride in your life to fill a hole. Uh, to fill a hole of, of, of worthiness and to feel a hole of importance and self-importance. But, but when we have a confident relationship with our Lord and our Savior, Jesus, and we realize that he has called our name and he knows our name, the praise of men doesn't matter as much. So we give pride, we get, we get rid of the foothold that pride has in our life. And I want to give you an example this morning of someone in the Bible who displays this confidence and this humility and this praise. And this is, uh, if you'll turn your Bibles to 2 Samuel chapter 6. This is the story of King David, who, disclaimer, is my favorite person to read about in the Bible. First and 2 Samuel are the most worn out pages of um, my Bible. And it's because when I was a kid, you know, I shared the name with the guy. So I was like, this is kind of cool. So I, I, I identified with him, but then also too, like he was a songwriter, he was a musician, he, was a, he led people, and the Bible says that he was really handsome, so I have a lot of reasons to identify with him. Pride, we're talking about pride here, just kidding. But at this point, let me fill you in, at this point in David's story, this is at the eve of the greatest victory that he will ever accomplish as king. This is when King David is about to bring the Ark of the Covenant back into the, into the, the city of Jerusalem, into the people of God. If you don't know, this is what the Ark of the Covenant was. This represented, it was this big box. You remember Indiana Jones? They find that thing in Egypt. 
It's not a true story, by the way. Um, but they, 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 this, that's the Ark of the Covenant. And in it contained the presence of God and the Ten Commandments and the law and all that. And what it represented was the covenant that God had made with his people. Now, here's the problem is that a few years before David becomes king, King Saul loses the Ark in battle. And, and I'll just fill you in. I wasn't planning on saying this, but the reason they lost the Ark is because they were trying to manipulate God into giving them victory. So, like, they had brought the Ark into battle a couple times, and, and that seemed to be a source of victory for them. And so instead of consulting God about whether or not they should go about these battles and take these battles, they just thought, well, we'll just take the ark with us and we'll just, we'll just handcuff God to our destiny here and he'll have to bless what we're doing. That's not how God works. And so they lost the presence of God. This is a big deal because they called themselves the children of Israel, but it looked like to the world like God had abandoned them. But David, he gets the ark back. And so he organizes this big parade, this big party throughout all the city. And this is where we pick up as they're about to walk the ark into the city of Israel. 2 Samuel chapter 6 verse 13, and so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed an oxen and a fatted sheep. Bad day to be a fat sheep or fat ox in the city of Jerusalem. That's a lot of them right there, every six steps. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might. And he was wearing a linen ephod. Now remember that. We're going to come back to it. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the trumpet. Now, as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, Saul's daughter, looked through a window and saw King David's whirling before the Lord. Now this was also David's wife. And she despised him in her heart. So they brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place among the midst of the tabernacle that David had erected for it. And then David offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. And when David had finished offering burnt offerings and peace offerings, he blessed the people in the name of the Lord of hosts. He distributed among all the people, among the whole multitude of Israel, both the women and the men, to everyone a loaf of bread, a piece of meat, and a cake of raisins. So everyone walked away with some party favors, some beef jerky and raisin bread. So all the people departed, everyone to his house. So he's, he's blessed the Lord, he's blessed people, and now he's going back to his house to bless his house. Then David returned to bless his household, and Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, how glorious was the king of Israel today, uncovering himself today in the eyes of the maids and his servants, as one of the base fellows shamelessly uncovers himself. She's mocking David here. And what's her problem? Like, honestly, what's Michal's issue? Well, there's two things that you need to remember, because because. If she, were, if she were making this moment about God and about like the rest of the people, then she would have been in the, rest, in the crowd with the rest of the people. But instead, it says that she was locked away in her room. So what's her problem? Why, why does she have the audacity to talk to the king this way? And there's two things you need to remember. One, you need to remember that Michal was the daughter of Saul. So when Saul, King Saul, lost the Ark of the Covenant a few years back, that shame fell on the rest of their family. So she's been known up until this point as the daughter of the woman who had, the daughter of the man who had lost the presence of God. But the second thing is this, is that if you remember, David, it says David was dressed in a linen ephod. What an ephod was, is it was the outfit and the uniform of the common priest. Not the high priest, not the distinguished priest, but just the common priest. Of which, because they were ushering in the ark of the of the presence of the Lord into the city, there were hundreds, if not thousands, of people dressed just like David. So catch this. This is, this is what's happening. On the eve, on the most visible moment of David's victory, 
on the moment where he should be able to go, look at me, look at me, look at me. He stops right before he gets to the city and takes off his royal robes that would have distinguished him to the people, and he puts on a disguise of a priest, and then he doesn't just blend in, but he joins in, because look, it says that he was dancing and twirling before the Lord. I don't know about you, but that does not sound like the behavior appropriate for a king, because it wasn't. It was the behavior appropriate for a worshiper, someone who realized that even though it might have been his hands that's about to bring the ark back into the city that it was the Lord's strong arm that held him up that brought the victory in the first place so so here so here here check this 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 is why my this is why Macau's so upset because she saw this as a PR win she saw this as the moment that finally I won't be known as the daughter of the guy who lost the presence of God but I'll be known as the wife of the guy who brought it back what we see here is that the moment was about her the moment was about her pride, was about her reputation. We don't see that in David, though. We see that this moment was about the Lord. He chose to take a second and remove himself from the platform and the spotlight so that he could ensure that the people and the praise was directed towards God. And I love how uh, King David responds to Michal here. She's, she sassed him pretty hard. And then he claps back pretty, pretty savagely here. He serves her one order of a McClap. Her name's Macal. And, you know, you clap back. At, I told Kaylee that joke this week, and she rolled her eyes very hard. So she's just dissed David pretty bad here. And, um, and then this is David's response. I want you to watch this. Verse 21. Verse 21. Would you put that up there for me? So David said to Macal. It was before the Lord who chose me instead of your father and all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I think I'll play some music before the Lord. This is what he's saying. He's saying, Mikhail, I see right through it. Who's your daddy? Because God picked me instead of him to be king. This isn't pride here. This is confidence. He's saying, I know who brought me here. I didn't pull my seat out at the throne room. God pulled my seat. I didn't get here on my own. God established my steps. He got me here. He'll keep me here. And as long as he keeps me here, I'm going to continue to use every moment, every breath to praise the Lord. That's confidence right there. The same confidence that allows him to write, the Lord is my strong arm, my strong tower, my shield and my sword. The same confidence that allows him to write, some boast in chariots, some boast in horses, but I will boast in the name of the Lord. The same confidence that allows him to write in Psalm 34 too, my soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear it and rejoice. Some of y'all need to hear this this morning. Your pride is just a defense mechanism because you're afraid to lose your position. Your pride is just a voice yelling out so that people won't hear the whisper of your insecurity. You need to take a note from the confident king here. My soul will boast in the Lord. My soul will boast in the Lord. When we worship God and we magnify his name, when we recount line by line the faithfulness, how good he's been to us, what we do is we remind our fears and our insecurities that it was God that it was in the driver's seat all along. You didn't get yourself to where you are. You don't have to sustain your station. You don't have to muscle your way into holding on to the promises of God in your life. In fact, the only thing that's going to cause the promises of God in your life to be uh, derailed is not your, the enemy. And it's not your competition. It's your pride. It's your pride. So lift up your hands, O ye gates. Worship the Lord with gladness. Remind yourself of how you got here. And then your soul will be reminded 
of the humility that we experience because we know that I, my destiny and my journey has been determined by the king of the universe. My soul can rest. It's easy when it's not about me. When it's not about me. When it's not about glorifying me, I can take a, a moment and rest that if it's not about me, then that means it's about God. And I think God's going to take care of it. Because God is going to glorify him. It's not about me. When it's about us, then we have to work to make sure that, that we continue to stay in this place where we can continue to receive glory. But when it's about God, we can sit back and we can go, I trust. I trust the Lord. Verse 22. And I will be more undignified than this. David's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. And will be humble in my own sight. Listen, he's not concerned with the opinion of humility from other people. He knows himself. You know you. He's concerned about being humble in his own sight. But as for the maidservants of whom you have spoken, by them I'll be held in honor. Jesus says in Matthew that those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be exalted. So I'll close with this. How do we get this humble confidence that David speaks of here? How do we get past our insecurity that leads to pride, that leads to, to all the things that it leads to? How, how do we get past those things this morning? How do we get past them? Well, I think the secret is really simple. I think it's thankfulness. I think it's thankfulness. When we're thankful, it means that we're full of thanks. What are you thankful for this morning? What are you thankful for? When's the last time you told the Lord thank you? And not just for saving you and all those things, but for the, th the tangible things that you have in your life. I was thinking about it this week when we just got a car a couple months ago. A new car was the first car we've ever bought. And um, the first couple of weeks, it was a big step for us because we've never been able to buy a car before. And so we saved up money for a long time. We were able to buy a car. And the first couple of weeks, I, every time I got in that car, I was like, man, God, thank you for giving me this car. And when I would put Abel down at night, we would go through all the things that we're thankful for. And I'd go, and let's thank God for this new car that he gave us. He made a way for us to receive this car. And then a couple weeks goes by and a couple months goes by and the shine wears off. And then I forget to be thankful. I forget that um, it becomes a burden on me. It's like, man, we've got this car note and all those things. And I forget that, that the only reason why I'm able to have the car in the first place is because the Lord's given me gifts that I can use that provide an income for me. And it was the Lord that gave us that car. And through that thankfulness, I'm, I'm humbled. I'm reminded. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful for? If you read in Psalm 40, David writes in this the, the secret to his success. Psalms 40 is a very popular verse around here at New Song because it's where we got our name from. Um, and in it, David begins to share with you his testimony, his story, which is what it's all about. That's what thankfulness is, is it's acknowledgement. It's acknowledgement that I didn't get here on my own, Lord, but I recognize that it was you. It was your hand of faithfulness, that you make my feet like hinds feet, that I can trust and rest in you. Psalms 40 says this, I waited patiently before the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock, and established my steps. He's saying, you may see my platform, but let me tell you about my pit. Let me tell you about my pit. Let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you what God forgave me for. Let me tell you about the things that I could have done that would have disqualified me from the things that God, that God has called me to do. But because of the grace of God, 
We get to walk in perfect peace and favor with the Lord. Let me, let me tell you about my story. And he's put a new song in my mouth. Praise to our God. Many will see it and will fear and will put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud nor such turn aside to lies. Many, O oh Lord, my God, are your wonderful works, which you have done. And your thoughts towards us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I were to declare them and speak them, they are more than can be numbered. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation stay continually. The Lord be magnified, but I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help. You are my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. This psalm was written in the middle of David's kingship. So the first part of David's kingship it, it, is, it talks about him establishing his kingdom and establishing his throne. The, the life of David can be split to three sections. Before he walks, before he gets the throne, so before he's king, um, the first era of his reign and the second era of his reign. And the second and the third era of his reign here, the second and third part of his life can be separated by a really impactful moment. It's when one of his sons decides to rebel against the king and it splits the kingdom in half and there's this rebellion and David it's it's amazing to study this out David who is the one of the greatest military minds in the Bible um, decides to remove himself from the palace even before his son has come to attack it because he cares so much for the people he he's, he knows that if he's supposed to win if he's supposed to come out on top that God was going to establish his steps and so as an older man now David is has removed himself from the throne and he's hiding in caves again which is where he was hiding before he got to his kingdom so he's hiding in caves again and he and he writes this psalm he said I remember I remember the pit that I was in but God called me out we can rest in our in, in, in humble security and in confidence when we know that our God is for us and we remember we forget we forget what God's done. When we remember, when it comes out of our mouth, Jesus, thank you for this, and I won't forget what you did there. It reminds us that he'll be faithful in the future as well. The secret to humility, the secret to confidence, the secret to fighting against pride in your life is simple. It's continually bring your thanks before the Lord. Let not a day go by without reminding yourself of the things that you have to be thankful for. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes this morning? Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.